Less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us. Hello and welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green. Thank you so much for joining us this week. As stated last week, we've gotten one strike on YouTube. Uh, the Ted Metz episode, episode number 15, got pulled for misinformation. Um, no misinformation was stated, but whatever. We are in the process of transferring all of our videos over to Rumble. We're almost there. So if somehow we disappear, if someday you log on to YouTube and we're no longer there, we'll be over on Rumble and Odyssey. Odyssey will take a little longer to transfer because the whole transfer process is much more frustrating with them. Um, but Odyssey is more impervious to censorship than Rumble is. So, yeah, if you enjoy this podcast, if you find it entertaining, informative, just like it, you know, just like to hear me ramble about stuff and like the guests I interview, um, Please subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, any of the platforms where you get your podcasts. Uh, leave reviews, like it, comment, especially comment, and also share it because we're in election season right now and we're trying to spread the word about libertarianism and get our candidates in front of as many people as possible. And without further ado, our guest for today is Mr. Brad Binkley, co-host of the Propaganda Report. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the reasons we brought you in today or asked you to come on the show was to talk about Stacey Abrams. But before we do that, let's uh, let's talk about Propaganda Report for a little bit. How long have you been doing that show? We started doing that show when we were at WSB, so I think probably the first few episodes were in late 2016 and 2017, where we were doing kind of a couple times a week where we did deep dives and deconstructions of just panel, these panel discussions they have of the, the elites. I think they're more pop, people are more aware of them now, but the Klaus Schwab's and all of them, and we just kind of break down some of the crazy stuff that they said, and the videos only have like eight views, but these are some of the most powerful people pulling the strings, so we deconstruct those. And then fast forward to around 2019, and we started doing a daily show, and that's kind of where it's been for the past few years. Monica actually has uh, stepped away from the show. She's doing more of her own deep dive stuff. There, there was some just some time stuff that was just very, it's very time consuming doing a daily show and she had to step away for reasons like that. And so since about, I guess about June or so, I've been doing the daily show myself and with Cam Harless, who he hosts the Mad Ones podcast and I'm trying to keep the train rolling. There's just so much propaganda right now. It's just unbelievable. It's like a, they're normalized propaganda, I think. And I think that's an intentional thing to where you don't have to lie anymore if they can convince people that lying to people is the way to get what you want. The ends justify the means type strategy. So everybody's an activist at this point and just trying to keep up with that and, and get close as close to the truth as possible. Yeah. I mean, once you start with the propaganda and you sell somebody on that baseline, it's really easy to get them to the next level, the next level, the next level. Absolutely. And then like at that point, it's really hard to get somebody to rethink every single opinion that they've 
Right, because it's just, yeah, you're exactly right. It's like a mountain of assumptions and lies just built on top of each other that you peel one back, you got to peel another and peel another, and then suddenly your whole worldview change. I I remember when I, I mean, I've always been into conspiracies and stuff. I I went to the Bigfoot Museum uh, uh, last week, so like I've always been into just looking into that and asking questions. But one thing that really opened my eyes probably about 10 years ago or so is just when I read Edward Bernays book propaganda his first book and then I read his second book and I'm just like these guys just boast about how they use fake stories atrocity stories specifically to convince people to support a war or whatever else and then after the fact they mock how gullible people are it's just right there plainly written and he's not the only one all of these elitist propagandists write books that they back then not many people had access to them because you know the world's not as connected that only they read and like they're just telling us this and that just kind of opens up a rabbit hole literally and you start reading all these other crazy elitists and they all they're all the same they all just we're gonna lie to people they're gonna fall for it and we're gonna get them to do what we already planned and and there was actually a revolt against propaganda after world war one because it was discovered through some papers that were leaked i'm always suspicious of that type of stuff so it seems maybe intentional but there was a backlash across the country about how they were kind of conned into world war one because we were neutral we didn't want to go into the war Mm -hmm. and it was also, by the way, the, the war to, for, to protect democracy around the world, kind of like Ukraine's war is right now. You know, for the sake, not, not just Ukraine, but for the democracy around the world. It's such a, such a glittering generality, the way they use that term. They don't ever really concretely define it. But after this backlash, the awareness of propaganda and tactics spread across the country. And then leading up to World War II, they started shutting things down and silencing them, mm. similar to how they're doing right now. Yeah. But it's a little bit harder these days when there are multiple different avenues to get around that kind of yeah, thing and right. actually spread some type of truth. I mean, it's still hard to get the truth out there sometimes, but right. you know, you, you do what you can. I noticed yeah, the a- y'all are still on YouTube. How, how, how are you not have any well, strikes against you on there? <laughs> well, we have strikes. I got, so I had a, what was it? We used to interview Garland Favrito on a regular basis of oh, voter yeah. GA. And yeah. so when we first met Garland, when I first met Garland, Monica had known him already. He was a guest on the WSB show, and he's just a soft-spoken guy who is just trying to un, you know, uncover the truth about elections and fight for election integrity. And the first interaction I had with him was shortly after the 2017, I think, special election with John Ossoff. I can, John Ossoff's just another rabbit hole. And, and Karen Handel. But Garland believed that Ossoff had actually won. So he, was say, so he wasn't there on behalf of the right wing or on behalf of Trump. He mm-hmm. was there on behalf of voter integrity and he believed that it had been kind of stolen from Ossoff. Fast forward to 2020 and he believed that there was some election integrity issues that took some votes away from Trump. And the whole, the whole way they kind of silence people is when you use the term widespread voter fraud. And he-, he Thank you for simply, using it on this show. <laughs> oh gosh, you know, I should have thought about it. You can censor that out or, or edit that part out. Cause I actually did get a strike. I did the last last video I did. Same I said, don't call it this term. And, and <laughs> I said, because it's not this term. Here's what happened. Here's yeah. something that both sides can agree on. It's in the AJC that there was something like 88 votes. I can't remember the exact county, but these uh-huh. 88 votes were found to have gone to Biden and they should have gone to Trump. Does that mean that Trump would have won? No, it doesn't. But what it means is you should replicate that, which is what Garland has been trying to do across the state and see where that exists in other part, other counties and other parts of the state to see if that would have made uh, an impact. And 
by saying that, I did end up getting a strike. So maybe, maybe, maybe you should cut that out. I, I apologize about that. But yeah, so good. I've gotten two strikes and every video I do gets demonetized. They don't let us do live streams. I basically stopped posting for the most part. I tried posting again recently and then it got another strike. So I stopped. Yep. We, I started the process of switching over our stuff to rumble um, yep. this, this week yeah. and then Odyssey from there. So we got our first strike. Uh, I guess now it'll be two episodes ago. I had Ted Metz on and yep. You know, he's he's talked to Favrito a lot and yeah, he had a lot of <laughs> a lot of very interesting things to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I I've had Tets on the show. Ted Ted's a Tets. Yeah, it's a nickname for him, Ted Metz, but he's a, a like great that. guy. And he so him and Garland, they're working on that issue and now they're just considered whenever it's written about, you know, far right, probably fascist, I'm sure. Even though mm-hmm. the first time I met Garland, he was saying that John Ossoff probably won. He's, they're not politically biased. That, that's my, yep. my point there. And, and, but yet they're considered that, and they just call you fascist if you disagree with the main narrative. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, like even if you're agreeing with them uh, that they're like their candidate got screwed out of an election, if you say the word you know voter fraud, you're going to get tagged for it. It's ridiculous. It, it really is. But I'm I'm really not trying to save our youtube channel or anything at this point yeah. like i think it's going down the drain anyway so we're yeah. just going to go for it and see what happens all right <laughs> <laughs> um well let's let's dive into stacy abrams because that's that's why we're here today figuratively um, figuratively let's dive figuratively into yes please figuratively um so i work on the shane hazel campaign quite a bit so we are going after her on twitter and all sorts of stuff um, and trying to counteract the millions and millions of dollars that she gets with her campaign and the thousands oh, yeah. and thousands that Hazel gets. So, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, what is like the f- like the baseline thing that or like where, where I guess let's start here. Where did Stacey Abrams come from? Like, how did she get to where she is right now? Stacey Abrams parents were activists. I found some old articles from like the 50s. I believe it was either in, either in the AJC or in Mississippi, a Mississippi newspaper where she grew up. And they, I think her mom won an activist award, I believe in high school. And then they were involved in, it wasn't the Black Panthers. It was a group that came after the Black Panthers that kind of grew out of the Black Panthers. The name slips my mind right now, but it was like John Lewis was associated with them and uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of other groups that had previously been very radical and used violence that changed their name. That's, and that's what these groups often do. They're, the name that they operate under will get a bad reputation, so they will change uh-huh. the name of their group, which is something Stacey Abrams has consistently done through all the businesses she's incorporated. She starts these nonprofit activist organizations. They get sued for ethics or for not being transparent about how they're using their money. And then she has separates herself and she starts another organization with a new name that does kind of a, a similar thing. So she comes from an activist background. I think she had how many brothers. She had like three, Five. three, two sisters and or three sisters and a brother. And it might, actually might've been two brothers. Yeah. I and think one there were six sisters, in the family. Yeah. One of her yeah. sisters was, is a, an Obama appointed uh, a justice in Georgia. Another sister was like a, a CDC scientist for a little while. And then another sister was a teacher of some sort of African studies type at, I think it was Brown university at one point. I'm not sure where she is now. She had a brother who's a social worker and then another brother who is in prison for something who they just exploit as a pawn and how she uses him to kind of relate to people who who've been in prison and have been in prison. So she has like a perfect family 
uh, that com- comes from activist group that exploits this idea of identity politics. And she is even on camera state pitching identity politics at the Brookings Institute, one of those think tanks where she says she loves identity politics. It's gotten her a long way uh, speech where she also says, no, Martin Luther King didn't mean what he said when he talks about people being colorblind, not seeing the color of one's skin. Here's what he actually meant. So she recontextualizes Martin Luther King for everybody because she she would know, of course. But mm-hmm. her parents... Well, she's a black woman, of course she'd know. Of course, so she knows all of that. And she kind of plays the role of the oppressed and the representative of the oppressed. But when you look into her background, she's never been oppressed in her life. Mm. She, when she was... She went to Spelman College, not, you know... It's nothing to shake a stick at going to Spelman College, and it's a good school. It's a, it's a black school, and she ended up giving a speech at the I think it was the I can't it was a big anniversary for the Million Man March, and she was 22 years old I believe it was when she gave that speech, and she gave this rousing speech about it was an identity politics speech. Before that, she went to a high school in Georgia when her family first moved here when she was I think like 16, and it was a, a school that you had to audition to get into. And she auditioned as an actor, and she got accepted to it. She then switched to politics later. It was like the, a Decatur School of Arts. It has since changed its name, closed and changed its name. But it was a very exclusive school. Very, I think like 1% of people got into it. She was involved in a bunch of like elitist international organizations. She, she was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. She was a UCOS fellow for the U.S., Russia relations. She was got something called the Salzburg Seminar Freeman Fellow on U.S. East uh, East Asia relations, and again a lifetime member of the Council on Foreign Relations, not just a member. And she was a Next Generation Fellow of America American Assembly, and that just kind of kind of just the surface level there. She was a night. She was a Harry S. Truman Scholar in 1994. She was. In Ebony Magazine as 30 Leaders of the Future in 2001. She, she has about every elitist opportunity that you yeah. or I and most other people on the planet would never have. And when she was a kid, so her parents were activists. One thing, and she tells some of these stories too, and they have holes in them. Nobody ever asked questions about the holes in her stories. One of them, and she does it, I'm going to demonstrate how I was oppressed. When I was in fifth grade, I won a writing contest in my elementary school. And my father and I went to go pick up the award. It was, a, it was a cash award. It was a money award. And she went in there, and the, the white people working would not give her her award because they asked for an ID. You, so you get where we're going with the voter ID here in the relation go. to the story. And, and she's in fifth grade, obviously not going to have voter ID. And the way she interprets the story is they looked at me, and they looked at the color of my skin and what I represent, and they just didn't believe that I could win this prize. And, and I think most normal people look at it and they say, no fifth grader has an ID. Every other fifth grader that went in there went in with their parents. She was sent in on purpose because her father was an activist. And you hear her other stories. They are trained provocateurs. They know that if you go in without an ID by yourself, without your parents, that you're not going to be given to it. So then you can spin the story into an oppression story that you can then use in your political career later down the road. She writes books about this stuff, about how to like turn stuff into these stories that can be used to connect to the audiences that they are trying to manipulate right. by making herself look like something that she's not. So her dad purposely did not go in. They have the other story of, you've probably heard it, of when she was 17 years old. This was like her foundational story of her campaign, that she was valedictorian at her school, and 
they were invited to the governor's mansion. It was Uh a Democrat governor at the time. And they walked up. They had to take the bus. And they say the person checking the the sheet to let people in, the officer, didn't even look at his clipboard and refused (laughs) to let them in because of the color of their skin, because they got off of a bus instead of being in a car. So we have to assume that Stacey Abrams was the only black valedictorian that year, right? Well, she wasn't. There was other black valedictorians that year that also went in. There's no actual evidence of that story. It was disputed by, I think it was Zell Miller, who was governor at the time, if I remember correctly. They disputed the story. He was dead, so he can't dispute it. But the officer disputed it, and then her campaign came back and said, well, it was kind of not all the way true. But there's just a kernel of truth in these stories. And she is teaches activism. And she says it just has to be a kernel of truth. You can stretch the truth. This gets gets back to that idea of normalizing lying to people in order to reach your goal. Because it might not be true for her, but it's true for someone. So therefore, because she looks like that someone, she can represent them with these false made-up stories. If it's so true, then give us the real stories, is the way that I feel about it personally. But that's her history is that of activism. And she grew up around activism. Her parents, the group that her parents were in, was the same activist group that Jesse Smollett's parents ran in. It's crazy. All these what a people. Coincidence. It's nuts, man. So that's, a, that's a little bit of, of her background. All right. It, yeah. Well, you talked, uh, I have a feeling this is going to be a theme. So you talked about her being obsessed with identity politics and basing her whole career off of it. Yep. For those, so not everybody who listens to this podcast is libertarian or even has any understanding of what that means or why it would be a bad thing. And even some libertarians promote um, identity politics and like champion it. So can you tell us why identity politics is a, is a bad route to take? Because it promotes divisiveness. Mm. It's the, everything that she does promotes racial divisiveness, black people versus white people. Mm -hmm. At least everything that I've seen her do. And, Personally, I don't think that's a good route to go, especially when you're having to make up stories to do it. If there's, uh, I'm not saying there's not legitimate racism and problems yeah. in the country that happen, but there's also not Nazis marching up and down the street <laughs> like they would like us to believe. But it's yeah. like a, an attempt to manifest that reality, I think, in the way that she talks to people. She talks to people on CNN and stuff and MSNBC one way, but when she talks to activist groups, it is completely different. It is radical. It is extreme. And... It's just very hard to take away anything other than white people are bad with some of the messages that she delivers. And back during her campaign in 2018, I, I found this video on an obscure Christian website, which is no longer there. It's on my other computer. I need to find it. I'm, I was gonna put some, I'm going to put something together before the, the race here in the next couple of weeks of a lot of this material that I had back in 2018 because it's relevant again. Mm-hmm. But so, so in this video, her mom is given this, sermon, which by the way, both her parents went to the Emory Seminary School, and they didn't go there until Stacy was accepted to this program in Georgia. They were in their 40s when they went there. It's almost like a trade-off. You know, your daughter's trained. You've trained her to be an activist. We're going to let you go to this school and Mm. be preachers. I don't know. It's just very strange. The whole thing is very, all of these people that have this power, they all have these very awkward yet similar backgrounds that nobody else has. And she during this this sermon, it was the most racist sermon I've ever heard. She was basically preaching that you need to stand up against evil, and evil is a white man, and God will strike you down if you do not. That was kind of the gist of the sermon. And in the sermon, she said, my daughter, Stacy, she burned, she burned that their flag on the Capitol. And I don't think they know that. And everybody started laughing. And I was like, wait a minute, what, what, what is she talking about? 
because I'd never heard that. And so I, I started looking in the AJC archives about her burning the flag and stuff, and I found some stuff from 1992 like or three. And apparently Stacy was all over the AJC in the archives back in 92, 93 when she was at Spelman. And sure. she led an activist group that she created, and she takes credit for creating it multiple times in, in AJC interviews. They, now, she separated herself after this incident. But this group promoted violence. This group, which Stacey Abrams was one of the ones who, she says she led a march during the, the Rodney King riots. The group that she was involved with was violent during those riots. I'm not saying she was, but she led the group. She started the group. They were involved in violence. They destroyed the community around Spelman. This is what, this is what she has done. She has riled people up, and she has used race and identity politics to do it, and it has led to violence in past instances in her life. Is she doing that now? I don't know, but that's what she's done in her past. And so she did. They burned the flag on the steps of the Capitol. And they burned the, the, the flag that had the Confederate symbol of it, the Georgia flag that had the Confederate symbol of it. And it was interesting because, like, I, I said, we, we played this clip on WSB at the time. We told the story. And I looked it up before. Nobody had mentioned this clip ever. Nobody had mentioned her burning the flag ever. You can do the Google searches to see when terms had been searched and stuff. And this had never been searched at all. And within 30 minutes while we were still on the show, the New York Times and her campaign had already taken the story and tried to take control of it. And they had spun it. And they had spun it like this. Stacey Abrams was protesting the racist Georgia flag because it had the Confederate symbol on it. To which my response was, if that's true, her whole campaign was about her civil rights, how she was a hero in the civil rights movement. Why would not that not be the basis of her campaign? Uh-huh. If she truly got that... What really happened was they sabotaged an effort to get that symbol removed because there was already a bipartisan effort going on at the time. It was a Democrat governor, a Democrat chief, chief of police in Atlanta who's a black guy, and both sides were trying to get it removed, and the governor at the time was begging her group to stop coming to the steps of the Capitol and burning the flag. Told her she was going to sabotage it, and after it got sabotaged, blamed it on her group because... This is a Solinsky method of activism. You have to make sure an issue exists in order to champion that issue. If that issue goes away, then how do you build your political career? So her group was doing that to gain political power and exposure, which she did. She then ended up getting jobs. I can't remember who it was. There was a, you know, the name slips my mind, but she ended up getting a job in politics right after that in high school because of these stunts, and then she built her career off of that. So it's a lie when she tells people that she was a civil rights hero. She sabotaged the civil rights effort because she needs people to feel oppressed. That way she has a, a reason to step in and save them. And she also wrote a law. This is one that I think a lot of people should know, especially if they buy into her identity politics. Back in, I think it was 2005, she was a lawyer for the city of Atlanta. And she wrote a law that was protested by civil rights groups. It was decried as criminalizing poverty criminalizing homelessness and they didn't want to pass and it did and then you fast forward to 2008 three years later and there was a georgia bureau of investigation sting operation set up where this was a panhandling law that abrams wrote and what they did was they all put on hawaiian t-shirts and they all acted like they were getting off of marta and they were vacationing which i don't know why you'd wear hawaiian t-shirts <laughs> to vacation in atlanta but as soon as they came off and panhandlers came up to them asked for money they rounded them up and arrested them and the fine was like $1,000 to get out. So you're a homeless person panhandling. You don't have $1,000. You end up stuck in this loop in the system 
maybe even still there, a lot of them. And that was the law Stacey Abrams wrote for the city of Atlanta. Fast forward to 2018, she runs on a platform of decriminalizing poverty. The very thing she was accused of criminalizing in 2005 with the law that she wrote. She's a hypocrite. Yeah, so she she's just finding solutions to problems that she creates. Right, exactly. Just like most politicians, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like the whole government system, it seems exactly. like. <laughs> um, what have you seen different from her 2018 campaign compared to her campaign this year? Well, this year she's seen, you know, the abortion thing. What she's done is mm. she has... She's been the leader of making abortion a Christian thing, the Christian thing to do because of her background, her parents. And she gave this kind of, she kind of like laid the foundation for, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. My parents are teachers at, at or uh, they're, they went to Emory and they're, they're both preachers. Mm -hmm. So I know Christianity and I think that abortion, it's, it's the Christian thing to do for abortion to be legal. And once she laid the foundation of that, we started hearing that same argument. Because now it's the whole thing is Christian nationalism is evil and bad. But pro-Christian abortion now is the Democrat position when it comes to the fight for Christianity. So she's definitely led with that. Another thing that she has done is, obviously, she's claiming that she didn't not she didn't say that she didn't lose because she didn't want to be like Donald Trump. That's definitely different. She, had, she did more introducing herself in the 2018 campaign. Now she's doing more of do, doing more of here's what I'm doing and here's here's why here's why I need to win because of all the bad things that Brian Kemp has done in the 4 years in that we ran. And obviously she calls Brian Kemp racist with the exception though. With the exception, she said he did have one day of grace, which is when he spoke out against the January 6th quote insurrection. So she is, he's, a, he's an acceptable Republican, just still a bad person, just an acceptable Republican to her. But the, the difference is that she has a platform of, of who she is, her activism and all the stuff she's done. She talks about the voter registration effort that she did. So that was her whole thing is they would go to bars and they'd find the drunkest people, drunk, youngest drunkest people there. And they'd say, hey, vote here or sign up here. Um, we will do this cool thing for you. Maybe we'll even pick you up or maybe Oprah will show up to your house with me and come vote Democrats because that is who they target. And yeah, she also, she, she's been getting the pushback too, but I, I think it's false pushback. I don't know if you've noticed, there's been this challenge against her, her strategy because they credited her with Joe Biden winning, which was mm -hmm. this idea of bringing in as many young people as possible instead of compromising and targeting moderates. And now they're saying that Warnock is targeting moderates. He, he seems to be doing better and Abrams is not. So I, I don't know that that's actually true that she's doing better because they both seem to be doing about the same to me. But yeah. I feel like they're trying to have this battle on do they try and just bring in as many people as possible to vote or do they try and target moderates? I just don't see how Stacey Abrams can target moderates. She pretends to be moderate, but she mm. is actually pretty radical. Yeah. I mean, if you watch if you if you watch two or three videos of her, you're going to find something even as a even as a like Democrat that you disagree with and find extreme. Yeah, dude, I got to tell you. So a bunch of my friends who are I would consider them more moderate Democrats as opposed to progressives. They at least a few weeks ago would not vote for her because mm. she was pro mandate and she has to overcome that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big one, too, like especially here in Georgia, like even I mean, being in Atlanta, you see a ton, you know, it's just all Democrat, this Democrat, that. And 
you forget about the tons and tons and tons of people outside of Atlanta who have no interest in being locked down. We're pissed that Kemp locked them down and have no interest in, in you know, like bowing to say Sam's and letting her control that part of their lives. Totally. And they try to win them back by saying, well, Kemp wants to, wants you to, you know, control your womb and you're a Nazi racist, fascist, semi-fascist, whatever they call it on that day, if you vote for him. And it doesn't seem to be working, at least with the people that I know. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. For Before the campaigns really got heated, um, I was really thinking that Abrams might might win this year. But as, as things have gotten more and more into it, it seems like Kemp might be the one, unless, you know, Shane Hazel pulls a huge upset. Yeah, and that's the challenge that libertarians have. It's just it's such a, a a hill to climb, but getting the message out there is mm-hmm. important that there is an alternative because this binary choice of one or the other, it's a kick in the face or a punch in the ball sometimes. Yep, yep. And, you know, I think the best thing that we could hope for at this point is uh, force a runoff and make people notice Shane once again and the Libertarian Party in general. Like a lot of our candidates are polling pretty, pretty well at this point, um, some almost in double digits. So overall like the whole ticket might we might have some type of upset we'll definitely have a few runoffs um, on, oh totally races. i hope so yeah. is oh. he going to get to be in the debates do you know no he's not he'll, he'll be in the the pbs one yeah um, yeah but n- none of the others he's not invited <laughs> did you see of course not they don't want people hearing those ideas did you oh. see when ted metz was in the debate with kemp and abrams back in 2018 no i didn't what, see that one so I talked to Ted about this briefly on the show, but he was in the debate and Abrams answered a question, Kemp answered a question, and then it was given to Metz to answer a question. And Metz has Metz can't hear out, out of one side of his ear, mm-hmm. uh, out of his ear. Um, so an alarm goes off right as he's starting to answer a question that everybody heard, but he didn't hear it right away because he can't hear out, out of one of his ears. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I don't see any way how it wasn't intentional. Mm. It, it it made him it made him kind of like obviously confused about what's going on. Then he heard it, and I'm just like, there's there's no way that was not intentional. That did not just happen. There wasn't just a giant massive alarm that everybody heard right when the libertarian is speaking. They said what they just the sabotage just goes down to the local levels. That's what they're really trying to get down to because the power I think is at the local levels, and mm. they want to co-opt that power. They want to send people. They want to send these activist groups to all of these levels and create these fake grassroots campaigns which are totally not grassroots i went through this it's called indivisible group they are one of these activist groups that claim they have people in every single district in the country and they emerged after 2016 uh to to fight against trump and and whatever they're always featured on msnbc and they had one of obama's former chief strategists come and teach them activism and this guy for these like 40 to 60 year old white liberal women who always talk about how racist america is this guy is like their their bon jovi or the beatles it's like they're throwing their panties at this guy when he comes on and he was there teaching them these activists tricks and it just the starting premise for all, all their tricks is we know the republicans are evil we know they're going to do this we know they're going to do that and here's how we're going to sabotage them at the local levels and and they give them all of these little little tricks that they can go do and, mm. and it's it's nuts man how they can kind of brainwash these people into the starting assumptions that their ideas what it is they call this this group was called the truth brigade Okay. Imagine being in a group called the Truth Brigade. How stupid that is. Yeah. Right. And they're all excited about it. But 
They're not about truth. So they pretend to, to seek truth and to counter disinformation, what they call disinformation. Mm-hmm. But what they consider to be truth has nothing to do with fact-finding or reality. What they consider to be truth is their progressive values. And mm-hmm. anything that goes against those progressive values that they want to impose on the planet, basically Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum agenda, is disinformation that must be countered. And these people are just so excited to be in the presence of this former Obama guy. He's in Pod Save America, if you've ever heard of that group, which is so crazy, too, because he's going around talking about he's got the demeanor, too. He's like kind of like obviously progressive demeanor, kind of, you know, a little cucky, but also he's like the manliest guy in the progressives, but still a little bit cucky, in my opinion. And he he just tells them what to do and they fawn over him. They they will question nothing that he says because you can read the, the chat comments and I've been signing up for these activist trainings for a long time just to see the crazy propaganda that they send and the scripts they send and what they taught them in this training was, okay, here's how we're going to fight back against this fascist dictator, Nazi, whatever. You Here's how we spread the messages on Twitter. So you've all seen the screenshots of the same messages coming from what seem to be bot accounts. Uh, you know, exact same propaganda. That's what he's teaching them. We're going to, here's your choice. You get to choose between this topic, that topic, and this topic. And when you choose that, we will send you a verbatim script that you will then retweet this many times on this specific pie. They give them no choice of anything. And this is where those scripted talking points that we see all over social media come from. And Mm -hmm. they then get rewarded by being featured on the national indivisible sites and having guys like this come and speak with them personally. So it's all a system of rewards, like training a dog, really. And I feel sorry for some of the people that bought in. I have a couple of friends that have because they, they don't they don't know how to have a conversation anymore or think critically mm-hmm. yet they're being told that they are thinking critically when all choice has been taken away from them yeah i mean nobody's nobody's taught to think critically anymore at all about anything like they, they just want you to fall in line and and do what you're supposed to do but they right. yeah you're right they i mean they lie to you and they tell you that the other the other side is evil your side is good no matter what and that's the problem with like progressive ideals is that they always change. And so they'll always change in the future. So what you think you're believing in, you don't actually believe in anything. You just believe in the next thing that they're going to care about. Um, And that's, that's a huge problem. And it just makes, it makes you have no basis as a human being for, for what you believe in. Right. It's flexible values, fluid values is what Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. You, you talked about how, you've joined some of these activist groups just to learn about their training. Like what's your process for learning about somebody like Stacey Abrams or John Ossoff and like doing a deep dive into them? Well, it used to be a lot easier than it is now. <laughs> okay. The internet is really, really clamped down on what you can find and what you can't find. But what I often start with is I go to the, I, I got a subscription to the AJC archives, and I did have a subscription to a couple other newspapers around the country. If a candidate is from a specific region, I'll try and go find a, a local newspaper, and I'll get just a, a month subscription there. And I search there, those old newspaper archives, like going to the library, because nowadays you can do, they have these Google modifiers to search. So mm-hmm. you can put like Stacey Abrams in quotes, then you put plus and then you put in quotes, whatever else. But still, because of the way information has been flooded, all of the recent results show up. So you have to do, so there's, you can do minus this, minus that to try and exclude searches. But it's gotten to the point where you have to basically think of every possible thing you want to eliminate. Otherwise, that more, most recent thing will flood out the thing that you want to find. So the most, 
most useful thing to me has been the newspaper archives. And also occasionally, if you go to their website, what you can do is you, you type in site and then, and then colon, and then you type in PDF or something like that, or, or Excel. And what that does is it will produce documents from people's websites that aren't public. You'll get the public ones also, but it'll show all of the PDFs from a website, even the ones that have not been published. Mm. And I've, it's, it's pretty cool sometimes because you do find some interesting things like that every now and then, every now and then. But the newspaper <laughs> archives is where I found all the Stacey Abrams stuff. Another subject that was interesting to, to search was John Ossoff's father, who I'm sure most people have never heard of mm. because never mentioned. That, that's the thing that stuck out to me when I was watching his campaign stuff. One, that John Ossoff is a robot, clearly. <laughs> Two, his father is never mentioned. And yeah. I did a fake interview with Ossoff where he shorts out during the middle of the interview. Because <laughs> he's just such a robotic. It's like, they, it's like, let's see if we can make Obama a 30-something skinny white guy. John Ossoff. And <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, he does it very well. Yeah. <laughs> he does it great. <laughs> he nails that role. So what I found, because I was like, maybe his dad wasn't in the picture or, or he died or something. And that wasn't the case. And I was like, okay, so his dad's alive. His dad's still married to his mom. His dad's still in his life. Why is he never, he mentions his mom. They show pictures of him and his mom. Why don't they show anything about his dad? And it was a little bit easier to find information about his dad because his dad wasn't commonly wrote about in the news. So I put his name in quotes, his father's name, and which I can't recall off the top of my head right now, but I could send it to you later if you want to look it up. Uh, And he, (laughs) turns out his dad worked in the war on drugs back in the, it was either, was it the Nixon or, or Johnson administration or maybe both that he was working in the government on the war on drugs. He then worked for McKinsey as a consultant. McKinsey is like the elitist, uh, consulting firm that a lot of these think tanks work with. And uh-huh. then you fast forward to today, or at least mo- the most recent time I've researched him, which was maybe a year ago, and he's running a consulting organization in Atlanta where, among other things, he's training CIA agents, consulting with all of these foreign dignitaries and whatnot. And he also, because John Ossoff's thing is another one of these, you know, I'm a, yeah, he's really a great representative of the oppressed, John Ossoff is. But. <laughs> His dad has like a mega yacht. So John Ossoff grew up going on mega yachts and stuff. And I found this publication that all these, it really looked like a swingers group, to be honest with you. But it was just the, this website that all these people who owned yachts, they all get together and they, they flaunt their yachts around. And they, they come and have these little meetups and they have a little magazine for themselves. And so just when I searched his name in quotes, and I, that showed up as one of them, and then I, I pulled on that thread. So I found details about whatever I find, and then I'll, I'll pull on those threads, and I'll use the same search methods. But what I found was a yacht that his dad owned that his family had had for a good while, and it was John Ossoff's father riding around, I think it was the South China Sea, with a Chinese flag flying on the front of his yacht, hosting Chinese government officials on his boat. What the It's all heck? gone. It, they took it all. Like I, I, ha, I have it all saved on my other computer. I saved it back when I found it because I was like, this might not be here long. But yeah. when I go back to those websites now, it's all stripped. It's all gone. Wow. But that was the most jaw-dropping discovery that I had found related to John Ossoff. And that definitely made it clear why his father was never mentioned or still is never mentioned. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of uh, 
people not mentioning that Trudeau's dad might be Fidel Castro. <laughs> totally, dude. <laughs> it's like right it's in crazy. that vein. Yeah, like, yeah. What the heck, man? Training CIA agents. Like, so Ossoff's definitely well trained in this area and like speaks like this very slowly very, yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's and to me i see them do those slow speech patterns hillary clinton is the most obvious when she does it but mm. it just yeah. seems kind of insulting i yeah. think no, I, talking I, to a child yes in the documentary that i'm making um i have a clip of of shane asking Ossoff a question in that online debate that they had through pbs or whatever and Ossoff, you know, starts with the Obama with doing this, Definitely. doing this, <laughs> yeah. doing this, doesn't answer the question at all. And Shane's like, I don't think he answered the question. And then it cuts. <laughs> I, I don't think he's ever. Yeah, that's perfect because he never answers a question, but he does. I used to love the commercials that would be him and Warnock and they'd have their mask <laughs> on. They'd be elbow bumping. I'm like, oh, God, go, go Hunter Biden yourself. Just fold up, <laughs> do whatever. Which Hunter Biden, just another great, another great American. Oh, yeah. No, phenomenal American. Really hasn't done anything wrong or affected politics at all. Um, so coming back to Abrams. Yeah. What? Uh, dang it. I had another question lined up and now I forgot it. We were talking about um, her 2022 run. Um, I mean, as far as money goes, because money really drives both of these campaigns, like Kemp and Abrams, I think it was a record number of record amount of money um, last last time around for a governor's race and in, in, in America. Um, do you know where she gets all of her campaign contributions from? Or oh, great, that's a great question. So I I haven't looked into it as much this time, but. I did last time, and, I, and there's a little bit that I've, I've seen this time. The Soros family, and that's Great. not even a secret, she thanks George Soros in one of her books. One of the first pages, thank you, George Soros. He helped start her one of her first organizations. Which one was it? I, I, she's had so many. I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of the ones, one of the original activist organizations that she had that George Soros gave like $10 million to help her start that. And her campaign last time, and I'm sure probably this time as well, everyone in the Soros family, his sons, his daughters, everyone, donated the maximum amount every single time. So every couple of months or whenever, I don't know the exact period of time, but I kept finding Soros in every single one maximum amount and there was also a, a number of other what turned out to be once i i would just look for the maximum donations and go look those people up and they almost always turned out to be you know philanthropists like it wasn't bill gates but bill gates like people you know, mm -hmm. very, the, the wealthiest people on the planet that all of them were out of state they, they were not the contribution she got in state it just wasn't even close to what she was getting <laughs> from all these wealthy billionaires out of state she she was their champion she was she is this perfect image of someone who you cannot criticize mm. because her sexuality might seem a little bit you know what it she talks about being single and stuff and i think she is straight from what she says but i'm not certain but it's a question when you look at her her she's she's a big gal you know i'd, mm. I'd pick her first if i'm picking a a, a you know football squad i'd, I'd definitely <laughs> look at her she's tall she's like six feet tall and, wow. and she she you can't say anything about her because it could be sexist it could be you know it could be racist it could be whatever it doesn't matter mm -hmm. she is inoculated from criticism so she fits this perfect identity politics image and they few they just they pour money into her they they love her hmm. 
I guess that was my next question, actually. Like, why, why did they choose her? Like, she, it seems like she was kind of being groomed for this since, like, her kid, early, really. yeah, since she was yeah. a kid. And, like, how do we know how this came about? Like, I understand, like, the stepping stones she got to get here, but, like, did she, her parents know this was going to be her route at the beginning? Like, was this being set up from the very beginning? You know, I don't know if this exact route was what they planned out it very well could have been they in my opinion the end goal was likely some sort of political power because mm -hmm. almost everyone in her family has obtained some sort of political power and you know obama appointed her sister as i said the cdc they, they all have they've all gotten this power this very oppressed family that all have powerful roles now every single one of them except for the brother that they exploit who is in prison it is <laughs> It seemed to be that they operated in the circles of using activism and identity politics to gain political power from when Stacey Abrams was very, very young. As I said, her parents in those, those activist groups with Jesse Smollett's family it, is they all had this kind of pinned, this is how we're going to ra raise our children to rise up by claiming to be oppressed, yet they're going to have more opportunities than everybody else. And I do. I, I think that she actually did write she wanted to be governor of Georgia at a very young age. So maybe that idea was one, part of the plan all along. Although I do question whether or not she wants to win. I think mm. maybe maybe this time I think about it a little bit differently from this time than in 2018 because she has gained political power her entire life by losing because it's harder to claim yep. that you're oppressed when you win. Although we've reached a place now with Biden being president and Kamala being vice president where you can win and still claim that you are oppressed and you're the victim. So I think it's possible that she could win this time while still claiming the thing that's always gotten her power, victimhood, oppression and just claiming she should have won by more. Mm. So I think it's possible. But yeah, I do. I do think that this was in the cards from a very young age. Interesting. I mean, I, my my thought is that she doesn't want to win this year either, because I I mean, she's on record multiple times saying that she will be elected president. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the and, ultimate goal. And like, yeah, it'd be nice to to have a governorship under your belt. But like, if she wants to run in 2024, I mean, let's be real, Biden. Biden's not going to make it to that finish line, right? No, there's yeah, no he, way. He can't. And they, there's no way they could support Kamala. <laughs> no, see, I, I've, a theory that I have, I don't know if it'll pan out, but I'm wondering if Biden is going to be gone after the midterms. And I'm wondering if mm. the media is engaged in this whole trust-building effort right now. Mm -hmm. The Davos elites, they had, I think it was 12 panel discussions back in May that had trust in the title because they acknowledged, and I have a clip of this, they acknowledged that the, the world public has lost trust in them, and they are increasingly, they, they like these elites at, at an increasing level. They dislike them, excuse me. And so in order to usher in their Great Reset, they have to win back the trust of the world publics, and so they have to engage in this rebuilding of trust for the institutions of control, the media being one of them. And so they're, they're rebuilding trust in, in all of these organizations. And where was I going with that, man? I just went on a, a tangential <laughs> thing, and I don't even know where it was headed. But, oh, the Kamala-Joe yeah. Biden thing. Yeah, yeah, so I think that they have all of these ways they can get Biden out of there. I think this would be kind of hilarious if it happens, but I think the media could very well because they've started to cover Hunter Biden more. I think they could expose, quote, expose Hunter Biden and claim that they are the reason 
that Hunter Biden or, or that Joe Biden decided to step down because of the controversies with Hunter. I even saw oh. him get asked a question about that on 60 Minutes the other day if Hunter was going to be a problem. And I just think it would be so funny if the people who said the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation then turn around and claim that they exposed the Hunter Biden scandals and that they are why Joe Biden is out and we have our first black female president. Because Kamala can never get elected. No, never. That that's a great theory. I like that theory a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I watched some of that sixty minutes interview. He actually asked him some halfway decent questions, and, like, and that is what I've noticed. And I've noticed it since Davos is they're asking questions, and I'm like, oh, that's a good question. That's kind of why people like Brian Stelter lose their job. Mm. Which Brian Stelter got a promotion, by the way. And Dr. Fauci is getting a promotion. Brian Stelter is working for the Shorenstein Center, which is the organization that worked with what's called First Draft News prior to 2016. And they are the ones that put fake news kind of back in the political lexicon. Mm. Cheryl Atkinson, she documents this very well in her first book. It's... I can't remember the name of it, but not the most recent book, but the one before that. And Cheryl Axon does great work. And the Shorenstein Center, where he got hired, it hires all of these political operatives and it puts them in a position where they can influence young people, young minds that can be molded outside of the eye of the public. So mm. Selter can continue what he's doing, have an, have an impact just without getting criticized as much. Same thing with Fauci stepping down. Fauci's going to be working with young people. You know, I'm going to be working with young people, young scientists to be more like Fauci. The guy sounds like he eats a bowl of cigarettes for breakfast every morning to me yes he does <laughs> um back to stacy abrams again in her time she she served in congress in georgia um mm-hmm. in her time in congress other than the panhandling thing that she made was there did she do anything else of note like that we should be aware of not that comes to mind right now she worked across the aisle, at least she claims to have. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing that stuck out to me that was of any significance. It seemed to me like she was kind of posturing to make it look like she was going to, you know, be flexible and, and be willing to be, you know, bipartisan and, and non-biased. But I've never seen her do anything of significance that goes against kind of the, the radical progressive agenda, which is very much race-driven and identity politics politics-driven. Uh, so I, I did not notice anything that she did of significance. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've done a little bit of research on her, um, her time in Congress, and I couldn't find anything significant or, I don't know, anything that would make her who she is now. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, it was confusing to me how she got, how she, like, got the support to run for governor after doing nothing amazing as a as a congresswoman so that was right when i first I think got that to georgia came, yeah it came before so with like the soros funding all mm-hmm. of that was before she was you know making those those leaps there so that goes back to what you're asking earlier in that right. she seems to be kind of the perfect person who is you know you, you cast somebody in a movie and you're looking for people to fill fill certain roles and i think stacy was somebody who this person has been trained They've been trained by our people, and she looks the part. We're going to put her in this role. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's where that funding comes from, is they had their money bet on her for a while. She did do a couple of things. She did write a number of, of fantasy fiction novels under <laughs> of course, of course the, the name Selena Gomez. She literally what? has an – yeah. She wrote, she wrote these novels that are – they're like romance novels, man. Under Selena Gomez is the name. 
And you can, if you want to get them on Amazon, they're on Amazon. She was on Seth Meyers' show. Seth Meyers, just a very, very, very hilarious comedian, you know, who just repeats CNN talking points to even more extreme on his show. It, it sucked. I mean, these, these late night shows are terrible. All they, they're just, they're CNN and MSNBC late night. And she was on there talking to Seth Meyers and she was talking about how she writes characters that have jobs that she would have if she was not working in government or trying to be a politician and they were specifically talking about a romance novel and a character that was a spy yeah I'm like while oh, justice wow. sleeps <laughs> right yes yes yeah. selena exactly. montgomery oh selena not montgomery yes yeah, it's selena gomez right yeah. yeah that would not be selena gomez yes. i was like i don't know if that's, yes thank that's you that's right <laughs> yes selena montgomery yes that's crazy man that's crazy how, I mean, how does she have time to do all of this i mean did, did she really write it I don't know. The thing about Abrams is I think she's smart. I do. I don't, I'm not going to. definitely smart. Uh, so I, but right. She might not have written it. Maybe she wrote one, then somebody else modeled all the other ones off of that. But I've read some of her papers when she was at, she, she went to, was it Yale? I think one, one of those, one yeah. of those Ivy League schools and she went to law school stuff. If she wrote that stuff, she's very smart and she knows the right words to say. I will say this. I, I think that for, from my perspective, I think that she probably is a little bit of a letdown when it comes to her politician ability. Mm. When she's speaking, as I said earlier, to activists, she is like a, a Martin Luther King-like preacher. Not near as good as Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is one of the best speakers ever. But yeah. she is far more in her element when she doesn't feel like she has to be a middle-of-the-road person or attempt to be right. a middle-of-the-road person. When she goes on those other networks, it's, it's not good. Somebody like Michelle Obama is far better when it comes to political political uh, talent. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Michelle Obama was, I, I thought it would be Stacey Abrams that might eventually become president when, wouldn't surprise me if it was Michelle, Michael, whatever you want to call Obama that steps in instead. <laughs> I can't imagine a Michelle Obama presidency. I mean, can we just stop with the dynasties? Like for goodness sake. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. The monarch, we're all, everybody hates the monarch unless it's our monarch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's pivot a little bit. Um, I know we didn't come here to talk about Kemp, but why don't we talk a little bit about Kemp while we're while we're here? Right. Uh, yeah, I back in 2018. So I moved here to Georgia in 2017 and wasn't a libertarian yet. I voted for Kemp in that election. Really regret doing that at this point um, and especially regretted it through covid. What? Uh, you know, what, what, what do you know about Kemp and how he got to where he is? I don't know much about Kemp's background, okay. but what I do know about Kemp is that he's made that clear this time around anyway, that he is in the acceptable Republican category. We, we have seen, and Biden really made this clear. Hillary actually started this whole thing back in 2016 when she had the alt-right deplorables storyline that she put out there but it was really kind of taken to an extreme with the semi-fascist thing and what i saw in the news uh, on cnn on msnbc and all these other networks is they immediately brought on republicans to try and appear to be uh, you know like they aren't biased in one way or the other but these <laughs> republicans were you know the guy with the the eye patch What's the oh, guy's yeah. name uh, I, I mean we call him eye patch mccain yeah, Dan, yeah, Dan I Crenshaw. Right, Dan Crenshaw. <laughs> yeah, I, I patched McCain. They bring him on. They bring Liz Cheney on. And they say, see, we bring Republicans on, but these are the acceptable Republicans. And getting praise from 
Stacey Abrams as he had that one day of grace, even that to me is, is enough. You don't, you don't want that if you're running against Stacey Abrams, in my opinion. I, I, and I think that what he does is he has made it clear. I watched the debate between him and the guy he ran, the guy he Purdue. ran against. Yes. Purdue. Who, I'm no Purdue fan. I think Purdue might've been there actually to demonize this, yeah. this perspective because of the way he talked about it. He just kind of aggressively talked about the, the vote count stuff. And, and Look, so I don't know if the election was stolen. I, I have no idea. What I do know, as I mentioned earlier, is that there are a number of instances where it was discovered that some votes would have gone to Trump that went to Biden. And then when there were court challenges to that, those court challenges were thrown out, for the most part, on process, not on actually examining the issue. They were, Garland's been railroaded time and time again, so they haven't exactly examined the issue. And... When that's going on, it definitely raises some suspicion, Bells. And when I see Kemp, just Kemp would not answer a question about that. He was trying to balance the idea because he didn't want to lose those supporters who believe the election was stolen. But he also wanted to make sure he was a good Republican. And I think it's very clear that he is willing to, to play ball with the mainstream narrative. And that to me is just... It's. I think that shows you shows you where he stands. I think when it comes down to it, him and Abrams kind of serve that same global narrative of that. And the global narrative, in my opinion, I, even if you don't like Trump or you hate Trump, whatever, they, they use Trump as an idea, as a symbol. So you don't get to decide if you're Trumpyism, if you're you know a MAGA Republican. They decide if you're a MAGA Republican. The media right. does. If you question anything, they don't want you to question. All of a sudden, you're a right wing. MAGA Republican, and he wanted to make sure he's not that. And I think that the global push here is is basically the the Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum, progressive values, equity, inclusion, ESG, versus people who think independently and are willing to question things. And mm-hmm. they want to snuff out independent thought, and I think that Brian Kemp is on the wrong side of that. I agree, and I, I think it makes him look really weak as well. Like I, I don't think he doesn't look like a strong leader anymore. Like in the 2018 campaign, he was definitely different than he is now, or at least he appeared different than he is now. And like, he was Trump's boy for a while. Like he's got, he's flown on air force one, got off the plane with Trump, all that kind of crap. Yeah. Um, and this time around, he's like disavowed Trump, Trump hates him, all that. And it's, it's a weird turn over four years. Um, it really is. You know, the story about, I think his daughter's boyfriend. No. It, one of his daughter's, his daughter's boyfriends, he got into a car accident on the way to like a campaign event. It, it like blew up. The car blew up. And there's a lot of suspicion around what happened. And some people believe that that might have influenced the way that he, you know, his political positions, that maybe it wasn't an accident. It's very suspicious. It's very suspicious. It happened maybe a year and, year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. We talked about it with Garland, Garland a couple times. He, he knows more about it than I do. But it was weird. It's definitely weird. That is weird. Um, yeah. It's weird how people die in some really strange circumstances when they're at all affiliated with powerful people. <laughs> and you can't question it. You're crazy, you know? Yeah. You have you seen all these? Seth, what's his name? <laughs> can't even say that name. No, you can't. Have you seen all these weird, uh, this is completely unrelated to politics, but like Kevin Spacey, so many of his accusers have ended up dead. They've like, ended up dead? Yeah, there's I like know that it's insane how many of how many people who have been accusing him of things that ended up dying in suicides and like really strange ways. And it just reminded me of 
like he basically seems like he's become his character on house of cards <laughs> have you seen the videos that he made a couple like maybe three years in a row on on christmas eve and he put it on his channel and he plays the character from house i only of saw cards. the first one he's done it more than once yeah he's done it three times and it's just it's the creepiest thing you look at that and you say obviously he's he's a sex fan i mean there's just, <laughs> you know, just show that in court and you know, evident the case closed but it's just i mean the audacity of it it's just it's almost yeah. like he knows that he's not going to be held accountable for and given you know it uh, you know maybe some of these people died and I, I don't know maybe it's all a big coincidence and he's innocent I, I doubt it. I don't. I personally don't believe that. But I mean, I, I think it was coincidental that Clinton was on Epstein's plane twenty six times. It's just a coincidence. He was on it a lot. And so, <laughs> when I first started researching uh, Clinton and Trump back mm -hmm. in twenty fifteen, I, I have a video. Somebody commented on one of my videos on YouTube said, "I think you have the oldest Epstein video on YouTube because I censored so many of them." I, I don't think it's been kicked off i think it's still on there but i read through a lot of the court documents and i talked to the lawyer of of the victims and uh, a guy that trump was actually suing at the time that i spoke with him so it wasn't like they were buddies but i went into that with the assumption that both clinton and trump were probably associated with some sort of pedophile ring and i started reading about what happened down in, in florida with the the officials down there getting pressured by epstein's lawyers and his, his basically just mob style stuff getting people to quit a couple people died and he ends up getting he was facing potentially life in prison epstein was this is back when you weren't allowed to talk about this and he ends up getting this 13 month sentence in a kosh prison where he helped build that he had his own security squad there and he got to go home on weekends so from life sentence to, to that is it's a bit of a sweetheart deal as they call it and what ha so Trump was on the plane also at one point, and that's what you see a lot of the memes. So, so they weren't allowed to talk about it in the mainstream media until they could make it a Trump story. <laughs> that's when they were allowed to talk about it. So we point to that one time Trump was on it, and I don't know what Trump did. And I've been of the opinion that Trump is like a P.T. Barnum uh, that I don't know. I, you know, he could be playing a role, which I think they're all playing a role, that brings up this division that we're seeing in the country, this type of Civil War-like stuff that we're seeing in the country. And... Uh, so I, I don't know. But what his lawyer told me, the lawyer of the victims, not his lawyer, this is somebody who was in a lawsuit with Trump, he said that they, he tried to depose all of these people that were involved, M Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, all the other people involved with it, and all of them evaded being deposed by him. Ghislaine Maxwell told him that she was leaving the country, going to see her mom, and she would not be coming back into the country ever. That's what she told him. Three months later, she was photographed at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. So she was lying. And he told me, yes, he told me that the only person who was helpful was Trump, that he picked up the phone and he told him the story. And you read the, the court documents. And when he did go to Mar, not Mar-a-Lago, when he did go to wherever Epstein's thing was, he went there, as according to the court documents, he went, in the, he stood in the kitchen with the people working. And then he wanted to get out of there and he left and he took a flight with Epstein's brother back to wherever he was going, back to New York, I think. I'm not saying, I'm not, look, I don't know what Trump was involved in, but that was, yeah what i got from the lawyer of the victims there so that that that's definitely a clinton story and it made perfect sense that they didn't want to talk about it until it could be a trump story yeah, yeah. absolutely man that whole situation is bizarre the fact that she's in prison now and we still don't know who their clients were is insane it's just crazy it's crazy it makes no sense so the the doc this this came up recently you know the clinton global initiative they restarted their stuff recently Really? They, yeah. So the Clinton Global Initiative closed down in 2016. Yeah. And they, 
you know, I thought one of the reasons they closed down is because in the court documents, I showed this in screenshots and stuff in, in this video I made, that Jeffrey Epstein created it with them. I mean, he, the, so that he had a plea negotiation letter. It was like 28 pages, which Dershowitz, by the way, who very much helps Trump a lot now, nowadays he does anyway, was yeah. Epstein's lawyer at the time. So that, I don't, I'm not, Dershowitz is very creepy to me. And in this letter, it said, it was like saying, here's all the reasons you shouldn't give him a Senate, a big sentence, because he works with all these nonprofits and does all this wonderful stuff. He works with the Trilateral Commission. He, he works with the Rockefeller Foundation. The Council on Foreign Relations is like, oh, that really, you know, builds up credibility for him. He's buddies with Bill Clinton. That's what they used in their pitch to get him the sweetheart deal. And then it says, he was part of the group that conceived of the Clinton Global Initiative. And the Clinton Global Initiative is back. And they're pushing ESG. They're pushing, the, it might as well have been a Davos Forum thing. It was last week, the first one they had. They, they reemerged first time since 2016. And you have all the same people involved except Jeffrey. Maybe he's in the background somewhere. I don't know. He died. Maybe he's on an island with the queen. I have no idea. But these <laughs> creepy people. People have a short memory now with, with the, the internet. Just so much information floods that yes. we can forget. Yeah. What, what's, there's some book that was written, I can't remember, but like, once there's so much information that it's overwhelming, then nothing is true anymore. Um, and basically, yeah. like it, it, nothing is true and everything's true all at the same time. It's, right. It, yeah. It's like Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it can get overwhelming, man. I think that's on purpose. I think they can, they flood the stuff out there. If you read a lot of these psychological operation manuals and, and techniques that they use, that's one of them is you overwhelm people with information, especially if you if there's some information that you don't want out or you don't want people to absorb. You either try and cover it up. But if you can't cover it up, like now it's hard for them to cover stuff up because of the Internet, then you just release it selectively when it can benefit you, kind of like the Epstein thing with Trump and mm -hmm. you flood people with information. So it just overwhelms them. And I think we see a lot of that. It's oh, interesting times that we live in for sure. Yeah. And you're, you're right. Like trying to search for stuff is really, really difficult because they'll put like one news site will repost the same article from one news site over and over and over and over and over. And all you, you get the same stuff for like 10, 20, 30 pages scrolling through, scrolling through a search engine. It's ridiculous. It, it's totally crazy. When we played the clip of Stacey Abrams burning the flag, the video of it, mm -hmm. it, they said that it emerged on social media. They didn't even give us credit for it. They said it just emerged <laughs> on social media, and here's what really happened, and it emerged on social media because they don't want people going to look at the other information. One thing I would say to look at if you're considering voting for Stacey Abrams is I would look at her education plan. And her education plan, it's, I think she still calls it this, it's cradle to career. And basically, my interpretation of it is Stacey Abrams is inside the room when you're giving birth and says, you go live your dream. This baby's a burden to you. She snips the cord. I will take care of your child. And then that's what they want to give mothers. They want to give them care. They want to give them education and after school care so that people can go live their dreams. That's the way she pitches it. And then they want to help them up until they get to college, till they get to their career. So they want to control the entire life of the child, which is interesting on one on the abortion side, then you come to this side, the babies that are born, they want to have under their wing. And it, I just find it so, it's such an interesting angle to say, this baby is stopping you from living your dream. 
Mm-hmm. Go be an artist. Go do whatever you want. Stacey Abrams has just an army of children around her that she's raising. Yeah, here's some of that. Let's see. Um, our children deserve support from cradle to career. There you go. And the government needs government needs to be involved in that, right? Totally. I mean, it's you're right. I mean, I've read through this whole thing, and it's none of it makes sense. All of it is going to cost way more than Georgia taxpayers make, and it's right. Bananas. She has no children. <laughs> that that should discount her <laughs> or at least oh i removed you my bad um it should at least make people think twice about about her knowledge of of children and and what it means to be a, a parent man it's just crazy we, we you're right we live in odd times uh sometimes yeah. i'm just flabbergasted and can't even can't even put it into words. Yeah, me um, too. it's crazy. What What is y'all's, if you mind me asking you a question? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. what, is, what is Shane's, what's y'all's strategy with the campaign? How, how are you guys at, what, are you getting attention or what is your, what's your angle? Well, we've been trying different approaches and just going with what has been working. So we're trying to do events. We tried to plan a few trips around Georgia a lot of places do not want to get involved with politics. And then when they hear you're part of the libertarian party, they definitely don't want anything to do with that. So it's hard to go to businesses. A lot of times there are definitely a lot like some out there, but not enough to go travel for a whole weekend, you know, because we don't have a ton of money, you know, we don't, we don't get a lot of, of donations and a lot of, a lot of income that way. Um, So what we've been doing for the past couple weeks, two or three weeks is literally the moment Abrams or Kemp tweets or put something online, we'll comment on it with everything about Shane and just engage with all the people who, who comment on that, on their posts and everything. And we've made ads. We've, uh, you know, the documentary I'm making, I decided to release it before the election in order to get him more coverage. Um, Cause really the documentary won't technically be complete because I followed him from before he was nominated until after the election, technically speaking. But in order to put more eyes on it, I'm releasing it just before early voting begins. So like we, you know, we, I've done that. We've, we've made ads for him. We've, it's just tough, man. We've tried to get billboards all over Georgia. I have not gotten a single one to agree to put up a Shane Hazel ad. Really? It's been so difficult to to make that happen. And, you know, we Libertarian Party has has more funds than the Hazel campaign. uh, But, you know, Libertarian Party can't support just one candidate. We have to support everybody and we have to, you know, the candidates or just Libertarian Party of Georgia, that kind of thing. And that that doesn't really no one. People really just care about the governor race and the Senate race, you know, like the other ones. Yeah, people care about them, but like the the splashy covers and all that are is always the governor's race. And when when the news only says one of these two people will win, and then the third category is other, and then the other. fourth category right, is right. undecided, yeah. it's like yeah. you could just say all the candidates in the race, but right. you know they're never going to do that because yeah, they like it how it is. It's like when they used to bring Ron Paul on, so they'd have the other guest on, and they'd ask him real questions and then they bring ron paul on and the question will be and this is like on fox news the one i'm thinking about is mr paul there's a supporter of yours down in 
Texas, and they are promoting the idea that you and Rick Scott are having a sexual affair. Would you like to tell that person to stop, that supporter of yours, to stop with that messaging? And then Ron Paul just rips the mic. He says, I'm out of here. He just rips the microphone off. Because <laughs> I mean, if you had to address every person saying something, they just pick the most, they don't even say the name of the person. They just make up a random, ridiculous claim. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's insane. It's tough, yeah. man. I, I, um, so I, I was talking to Ted about, you know, what, what you know, how are you going to get attention to it and everything? And it's mm-hmm. just with them demonizing libertarians, the only time they talk about libertarians is to demonize them yep. in the mainstream media. Yet the reality is most people, when you talk to them, if you, they, these, these words now, they're like language landmines. As soon as you step on them, people just go into this unthinking mental position because of the way the media has talked about certain stuff, not realizing if you can avoid them, you're, you're like, oh, this person has a lot of libertarian ideals. They, they yeah. are very self-sufficient. They're entrepreneurial. They don't want to be controlled. They, they believe in free speech and whatnot and, and liberty. And then when one of those language landmines are hit, they start spouting the most progressive, ridiculous stuff <laughs> on the planet. Yep. It's like, where's that, where's that libertarian I was just talking to? <laughs> That's exactly right. It was funny. I, before his race began, he was kind of, we were going around to different places and talking to like libertarians, trying to get people to get on the bandwagon and start supporting him and start like spreading the words that he's going to run for governor. And <laughs> during one of the speeches, he was like, when you approach people, don't tell them you're a libertarian. Like, just don't do that. We've been doing this for 50 years, dumbass. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the best things. And it's like, it's yeah. true. Like, as soon as people yeah. hear libertarian, they're like, nope. Like, Absolutely. you're irrelevant. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. I was at uh, a show. This is even a couple of years ago. I think it's gotten worse the past couple of years, but it was like two years ago. I was at uh, an improv show. So, meaning it was most likely bad. But uh, 99%. And I do a lot of improvs. I've done a lot of bad improv shows. But one audience member who actually liked the show, it was like a horror show, and they were talking to us, and she just randomly went, oh, my gosh, I hate libertarians. And I was like, I'm kind of a libertarian. I, I, I don't like to take the identity of it, but I, my values are – they line up with libertarians more than anything else. And, and she was like, oh. I was like, <laughs> she went from completely liking the show he did to just just being like disgusted by that possibility, and I'm just like, man, the you want to be like, you know, the the programming, the Borg is working this power on you. That's what it is. It's a Borg. They don't yep. want independent thought at all. That is the enemy of what they're trying to push down, and nobody likes to watch this stuff because it's boring. It's super boring. But the World Economic Forum videos, the Council on Foreign Relations, I, I've played clips from the Council on Foreign Relations panel discussions that three weeks later, Joe Biden says verbatim. I mean, verbatim. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like he's a puppet. So the, the Bill Back, my Bill Back Better plan. The, the, they talk about it up here, and then he just says the, down here and says it's his plan. It's not your plan, dude. Yep. Anybody who watches that knows that you just got told that because it's just it is really extraordinary I, I feel like the people in north korea look at us and go man those americans are propagandized <laughs> yes you're probably right and it, it, it's funny because it's it doesn't even stop at biden so if, if it starts at you know world economic forum or whatever and goes down to biden like you'll see these things where the press secretary says like one like two sentences and then you'll see a compilation of like 150 news organizations, news anchors saying it word for word. Right. That's journalism. It's like, <laughs> like 
none of y'all are doing your jobs properly. Like you're literally just repeating anything you hear that sounds good with what you believe. Right. Well, I so I would argue they are doing their jobs properly. It's just we oh, right. we view them as journalists when they're propagandists. <laughs> and that's why I used to talk about with Stelter a lot. Stelter is this guy. Who's, <laughs> I was making fun of Brian Stelter. I, I had a very small channel, but I did like fake interview, and I was making fun of Brian Stelter back in 2015 before Alex Jones and them started. It got a lot of attention to it and Mark Dice. But he, he stuck out to me because uh, the Epstein thing that I was researching at the time, he was actively on his show silencing any talk about that until 2018 or whenever it was acceptable uh, yeah mm -hmm. 2017 2018 and i was like this guy is he's a propagandist and i looked into his background a little bit and if i recall correctly he was like a kind of a conservative blogger in college they've removed all of that from his wikipedia and from the search backgrounds of him but he's kind of like this not just he just seems harmless you know it's like a harmless potato yeah. type guy and, and he, he he can deliver things with that little high-pitched voice he has and you think oh this guy's not lying to me but well, no that's exactly it's like the stacy abrams they pick the people to fill the roles to appeal to certain audiences and for stelter he just got he became the story which is why he had to go and he ended up getting this more quiet job at cnn they're still delivering the same progressive agenda they just have his protege or his yeah his the guy that he mentored they have him doing it in a little bit of a different way mm -hmm. and, and that's it's all this adjustment that's what edward bernays talks a lot about in propaganda is they propagandize they they feel out and have the crowd the, the public and then they make adjustments and then we make adjustments so i yep. talking about this stuff is people can sometimes get down about it and i'm i'm not somebody who's ever been down even like i could face down stacy abrams in a dark alleyway i might be scared you know shaking a little <laughs> bit but i'd still do it because I have hope, and I, I think that there is—I think there's hope in the fact that they are being so aggressive in the propaganda that they're pitching. Because if we were just submitting to it, and if we were all just demoralized, and that's what they want. This is all a demoralization campaign. They want people to think that it can't mm -hmm. be overcome, and they may, they adjust and we adjust. And I think that I think we're doing a good job. I agree. Like I, I have hope all the time. Like I, I don't I don't I've not taken the black pill yet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't think everybody's doomed. I think there are certain people that are probably doomed, but yeah. um, I think there's definitely a large percentage that is waking up to some some of the what strategies and manipulations that that they've been seeing over the, especially the last couple of years. Like COVID just accelerated that like crazy. Yeah. And like the amount of brainwashing that happened over that time period was ridiculous. It really and was. I think it was I, I think they overplayed their hand. I think it was too aggressive for a ton of people because I think way more people than what they would have wanted started seeing, started like picking up on the bad things that were happening. Uh, you know, I think a, a campaign against Stacey Abrams is that photo of her surrounded by children that are all masked yep. and she's not wearing one. Dude, for, for the first six months of this year, anytime she tweeted every single person, um, in the like media part of the LP Georgia. So like, you know, communications director, me and a few others, we would just tweet that photo right at her, like right then just yeah, comment yeah. with that photo and nothing else. That's I, perfect. I, I have that photo on my phone from tweets like 600 times. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, nothing illustrates the elitism of people like her than that. I mean, this is not an oppressed woman. This is not somebody representing the oppressed. And what I found to be hopeful was in one of these, more recent polls that she is losing support among black men. It's down from what it was in mm. 2018. I think because people are just, 
And honestly, they target black people. They're so racist. I mean, they're racist in their targeting to black people. It's it's crazy because I, I know I know a lot of black guys who are just like, man, this is this is I'm not gonna swear. This is BS. What, what's like? They're not they're not stupid, but they talk to people like they're stupid. Mm-hmm. They really do. Yeah. Um, oh dang, I had something to say right then. Nah, I forgot. Whatever. Well, Brad, I think we're uh, we're running about it hour 15 right now that's pretty pretty good for our listeners i think so. Um, do you have any uh do you have any closing words you'd like to say to voters of georgia i i appreciate you having me on the show it's been fun and i would just say you know well i was gonna say vote your conscience that's what ted cruz said at one time no <laughs> if uh, you know i i think people should do what they want to do just like i think most libertarians do and, and mm-hmm. personally i I am one who believes that the the local support is where you're going to make the most impact. The national stuff, I, I don't. I, sometimes I don't vote at the national level because I'm not I'm not going to vote for candidates that I, I haven't researched and stuff because I, I don't mm-hmm. feel like I, I should. But I, I would just, if you're not, I think most people listening to this are probably a libertarian leaning. But if you happen to not be, see if you can look at what the libertarian candidates represent and see if you can separate the propaganda attached to that label that has come around. There's no doubt that it has. And see if you can just look at it and, and imagine yourself as someone who is independent, has independent thought, likes to critically think and make their own decisions and, and believes in liberty and doesn't want big government to meddle in things that you don't like. Because we all saw what happened with the COVID pandemic. It was a grand experiment. It was a grand experiment in mass control at a global level. And they want the public of the world to submit so i just look into it attempt to separate from the label and for anybody who feel, feels overwhelmed i push back against the black pill very very hard because it can be easy to be black pilled just knowing that demoralization is the campaign that these propagandists want they want to demoralize us this is one of the main propaganda tactics throughout history is they try to appear bigger than they are so that people do not fight back simply having hope is an act of resistance if you can have that hope then you can see those opportunities to fight back so that i guess that would be my message I love it. Where can uh, where can people follow you, find you, listen to the Propaganda Report? You can find the Propaganda Report on any podcast app, just the Propaganda Report. It's there. I'm rebuilding my website right now, so I don't have that up, but it's going to be, I think the new domain's Propaganda Fights, actually. But uh, yeah, propagandafight.com is going to be the new domain once that gets up and running. So check check me out there. If you like it, share it with your friends. I can be a little wild sometimes, but I, 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 I can bring some pretty good information sometimes too. I like wild. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's way more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, y'all, thank y'all so much for tuning into this episode. Uh, if you like what you heard, if you want to share it with your friends, please do. Subscribe to our channel. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube everything leave comments leave reviews we're trying to get the word out for libertarian party here in the 2022 elections um we've got a lot of great candidates so that'll do it for this week uh yeah we'll see you next week mm-hmm.